Well, kids, you can take off to your classrooms. Go have fun. Praise God. Better grab my water over here before I forget. How is everybody doing? Let me try that again. How is everybody doing? Are, are you okay this morning? <laughs> Woo. We got some great things to cover today, but before we even look to the word right now, Father, we acknowledge you. And we acknowledge that this is your word that we're about to open. You're in that Bible, you said that your words are life and they are health to all our flesh. And so right now, we have an expectation, Lord, that as we open your word today, that life flows to us. We thank you, Lord, for revelation knowledge flowing to us. We don't want to just hear a story, but Lord, we want to know you. We want to experience you. We want to have a fresh experience with you, Lord, and know how to apply your word into our lives. And so right now, we just honor you, and we honor your word, and we take this time, and we set our attention on it for you. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, we're going to continue on in our series on the laws of God, and we've been in this series for quite a while now, and I was saying to Pastor Wendy earlier this week, I, I said, you know, I've spent way too much time, or it's not too much time, but more time than I was expecting that would we be on it, and she said, stop calling it a series and start calling it a season. God has got a season right now that you're in where he's wanting you to understand how his kingdom operates, how his laws are put in place. We, we can know all the natural laws of this world and know what we should do and what we shouldn't do, but be completely ignorant of how God said things are for you. When you stepped out of the kingdom of darkness, as Paul said in Colossians, and stepped into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. And so we're on the fifth and final law that we're going to cover on this series and we've been on it for several weeks now and we're continuing today on that and that is the law of sowing and reaping and over the last few weeks what I've been endeavoring to do and I hope you've you've changed your perspective a bit is to open your eyes and look at how widely applied the Bible actually talks about this you know, because the only way it gets taught is for most people is like, give, 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 give. You need to give your money to the church and give, 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 so, 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 so. No, this is a life principle and not just a financial principle. This is what God has said. If whatever you sow to, that's what Galatians uh, 6 says, don't be not deceived. God is not mocked that whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For if he sows to his flesh, his, uh, he will of his flesh reap corruption, but if he sows to the Spirit, he will of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And so our lives are an offering to God. Our lives are seed. Our words are seed. Our time is seed. Our actions are seed. Our, our talents are seed. Our love is seed. Our encouragement that we sow into others is seed. Come on, I, I, God gave me that revelation years and years ago when I was down in the dumps and was like, oh, I just wish somebody would come and encourage me. And he said to me, why don't you go and encourage someone else? And as I was intentional to go and do that, to find several other people who looked like they were down in the dumps that day and encourage them, by the end of the day, I realized I'm fine. I had already reached out, reaped a harvest of encouragement just by stirring myself up and stirring others up. 
You know, when David got into a hard time, him and his mighty men were out fighting a battle, and while they were gone, another nation came in, kidnapped all their wives and kids, and took all their stuff, and took off. And so when David and his mighty men came back to camp and everybody was gone, everything was burnt, and they're like, oh, this is not good. And the men automatically turned to David and said, this is your fault. Our wives and kids and our stuff is gone because we were with you fighting. Look what's happened. And it said they began to talk of stoning David. Come on, if you're talking about being in a tight spot, he was in a tight spot. This is life or death. And the next verse after it says they talked of stoning him, it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. You don't have to wait for somebody else to stir you up. You don't need to wait for Sunday mornings for Pastor Jordan to stir you up. You get to stir yourself up whenever you choose to. You get to sow those seeds of righteousness and reap a harvest in the day you're in. Come on. You can choose your emotions and you can choose your focus. You can choose what you do intentionally. And this works both directions. You can sow negativity into the situations around you and reap from that. Some people sow chaos into everything they touch. Wherever they go, they've got a complaint, they've got a, got a problem going on, and they just like, man, 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 they vomit it on everybody they come into. You know, you never have to know to wonder what people are really going through. They'll tell you if it's bad, they want everybody to know because they want a pity party. And as they begin to sow that, they sour everyone around them. Come on. You are a light bulb. When you walk into a room, the room gets light because the God of all creation is on the inside of you and it says he is light and in him there is no darkness. And so we've been talking about we get to intentionally sow our focus. What are you focusing on? Because what you focus on, you will begin to receive from. We can focus on, just to be specific here, in this time, we've got all kinds of craziness going on in this world, and there's every, every day someone does something stupid, and you kind of go like, oh, why? You can choose to focus on that and let it sour you. Or you can say, not my, me and my house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't care if somebody else thinks there's 500 genders. There's not. I'm going to serve the Lord and believe what he said. Come on, you get to choose your focus. And the world can do their thing, you keep being a light. Because eventually people get tired of the darkness and they turn to the light. And Jesus said, like a city on a hill, it can't be hid. Why? Because the lights of that city light up and can be seen far around. Focus on being a light. Sow goodness and mercy and grace and love and joy and patience and understanding with those around you. And so this, this law is so much bigger than what we make it to be. God, it was the first thing after God created Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, see, I've given you seed. It was the first thing he drew their attention to. The principle of the kingdom is what you sow, you shall reap. If you sow to the flesh, as Paul said to the Galatians here, you will of the flesh reap. You sow to the Spirit, you'll reap life and life everlasting. That sounds a lot better to me than corruption, destruction, despair, hopelessness. No, I receive life and life everlasting because Jesus came that we might have life and life more abundantly. His words.
But I want to remind you this morning as we go on that it's not the law of sowing, it's the law of sowing and reaping. And we can get wrapped up in while we're doing good things, because the next verse in Galatians says, don't grow weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap. You can get wrapped up doing good things and forget that there is harvest coming. You can get wrapped up in what you're doing and forget about what God's doing. We sow in faith, but we reap in faith. And so when we sow intentionally, there should also be an intentional perspective and expectation of harvest. Come on. When a farmer goes out to plant corn in his field, what is his expectation? He's going to have a harvest of corn. This is the law of sowing and reaping. It's a spiritual principle. When God sowed his seed, the seed of Jesus, he expected many sons and daughters. He, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it said he was the first fruits among many brethren, meaning many sons and daughters. God didn't give Jesus with no expectation. He believed that if the seed of Jesus, the innocent, the only son of God, went into that ground, it would produce life. Come on, it says that the first Adam, referring to Adam in the garden, he was a living spirit. But the second Adam, referring to Jesus, was a life-giving spirit. Whoo! Jesus gave his life so that he could give life to you. Come on. So it's the law of sowing and reaping. And God has no problem with you expecting a harvest. If a natural farmer can expect a harvest, so can you. Amen? And so when we sow intentionally, I intentionally also expect. And how do I expect? I expect with my anticipation. When you're anticipating something, you begin to look for it. Come on, when you've invited someone over to your house for dinner and you've prepared your house because you don't want to see the dirt, they don't, you don't want them to see the dirt, you don't want to see all the kids' toys cluttered, what, you clean the house, you tidy it up, why? Because you're anticipating their arrival. If you've invited someone for dinner, I hope your anticipation has caused you to cook something, <laughs> right? You don't want them to get there and be like, oh, I came for supper, but you didn't make anything. No, your anticipation causes you to prepare. Right. And then once everything's put in, put in place and you've done everything you need to do, what do you do? You're kind of like hovering around the window, right? It's coming. It's coming. Come on, you think about the story of the prodigal son. It says when he chose to return home, he came up with this pity, pity thing that he's going to give, oh, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore, father, you know, just let me be a servant. And as soon as he got to the property, the father had been watching and the father went running. Come on, that's anticipation. He was looking for the day that the son would return. He wasn't saying, don't ever come back to my property. No, he was waiting for him. And when he saw it, he went running because he was in anticipation of that day. And so when I have an expectation of harvest, I anticipate. I prepare. I have an expectation. I make room for it. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So let's turn back over to Mark chapter 4. This is where we ended off last week, and we got a bunch more to talk about with it. So Mark chapter 4, and in here we find one of Jesus' most um, famous parables. 
and it's the parable of the sower. We're talking about sowing and reaping, or seed time and harvest. And so here, this is what Jesus is talking about. It says, a man went out to sow, and some, some seed fell on this type of ground, some seed fell on this, and, some, and, it, and then after he finished telling them the parable, the disciples all looked at each other and was like, I don't get it. <laughs> don't understand it. And so as they were talking about amongst themselves, Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Everyone say all. all. Meaning this is a principle that Jesus was teaching that is applicable to every area of your life. He says, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to get the rest because these are kingdom principles in which the kingdom operates and if you want to walk in the things of the kingdom you got to understand how the kingdom operates so he says if you don't get this you won't get it all and thank god for his mercy he stopped and he explained it to them he said in the context of this one the sower sows the word the sower sows the word and it says and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown, and when they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that has been sown into their hearts. And so as we go on this, we're going to look at the three different types of negative soil. Things that happen when the word came in, but the result was not what God in uh, had prepared for. And there was reasons why it didn't produce like it was supposed to and the enemy has no new plans he's not very bright at all even worse now because jesus stepped on his head and went smushed it he's got a thinking problem come on don't give the enemy so much credit he's not very bright He's not very powerful, and compared to what God has done for you and in you and has given you power to do, he's insignificant. So don't let him have place that does not belong to him. Authority has been given to you by Christ Jesus. And so it says the first type of seed are those that are by the wayside. And immediately Satan comes to steal that word. Why does he come immediately? Because he doesn't want you going from the wayside into the field. He wants you to stand on the outside. He doesn't want you to participate. He doesn't want you to get together with other like-minded Christians. He wants you to stay on the outside looking in because when you're outside, you're not partaking of what is inside. If you were outside right now, this church, you would not be listening to the message right now. If you were outside the restaurant, you certainly aren't sitting at the table eating, right? And so the enemy wants you to stay on the outside looking in. The last thing he wants is you to participate. Come on. And as Christians, we're called to participate together. When we come to church on Sundays, it's not about listening to the worship team sing and Pastor Jordan preach a word. No, it's time for us to come and worship together. It's us for us to open the word together with expectant hearts. And the enemy wants you to be a spectator on the outside. 
And we've created this culture within Christianity where we're consumers, but we're not participators. Because that's what the enemy wants. When you participate, you begin to receive. When you sow into things, you begin to get harvest. And he does not want to harvest on the inside of you. Come on, you don't have to like the music. You can still worship because it's not the music you're worshiping. It's God's you're worshiping. It's not about whether you like to sing or not. It's about your declaration coming forth out of your mouth saying, God, you are good. You are greatly to be praised. Oh, God, I love you so much. Letting your mouth be filled with his praise. And it's amazing that when, when you stop watching and start participating, you start receiving something different. Because you've been sowing something different. The Bible says, lift up holy hands unto the Lord. He says, the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name. Well, when the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant came back into Jerusalem, oh man, David didn't go, oh, this is a good day. No, he got up there and he was dancing. Woo! And he was having a good time as the presence of God was returning into the kingdom. And his wife was like, how dare you look like so foolish? And he says, woman, if you think that's bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. And he danced even harder. Come on. We are the instruments of the Lord. And you want to know why that's so important? The enemy, before his fall, his position in the kingdom was chief worshiper. The book of Isaiah describes the makeup of what was now the devil as one having many pipes and many horns and one who his job was to worship God. He left his position. And now we get to be the worshipers of Almighty God. And so the enemy wants you to stand on the wayside. He doesn't want you to participate. He doesn't want you to believe. He definitely doesn't want you to step out of your chair. He definitely doesn't want to share you to share the word with those around you. He wants you to watch. Watchers receive nothing. Participators, they receive. And so the Satan immediately comes because he doesn't want you getting involved. Well, Peter said, resist him steadfast in faith. Come on, resist him steadfast in faith. What did we talk about during the law of faith for five weeks? That faith responds to the word of God. Faith always says something or does something. It steps out. And so how do you resist the devil? You talk to him. Shut up, enemy. I don't plan on staying out here. I'm getting right in the middle of good ground and I will produce. Come on. I expect a harvest. And when the enemy's saying, you're going under, you're going under, you go, shut up. I am not going under. I'm going over. I always triumph in Christ Jesus. I always win. Faith speaks, and the enemy wants you silent. So Paul, Peter said, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world, meaning this is what he does for everybody, but when you resist him, the Bible says he flees. And that doesn't just mean he's like, oh, I guess I can't do anything here. No, the word that's used for flee means to run from as in terror. When you stand in your authority and operate in faith, he's afraid, and he takes off. So that's the wayside. It says, these likewise are the ones that are sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so they endure only for a time. And afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. 
And these people, they hear the word, and it's like, oh, that was great. But then by Monday, they're not, they're not, they've already forgotten because the uh, stones of their lives are speaking louder than the seed of the word. And we have to look at our lives, and a lot of us have stones that we've allowed to be there. Stones from our upbringing, stones of abuse, stones of failure, stones of disappointment. And when we allow those to remain in our soil, they block production. Because we look to them more than what the word has said, and we look to them more than an expectation of harvest. Come on. Bad things happen to everyone. But they don't have to take root in you and produce blockages and walls and stones. They can be rooted out. If you've been hurt, you can find healing. It doesn't matter how you were raised, let the word give you a new education. Come on. And so because there's no space in their life, because of the stones... There's nowhere for the, root, the seed to go, and there's nowhere for a harvest to grow. But when we take out those things that are unnecessary, and we toss them at the feet of Jesus and say, I was not meant to carry this boulder around. My ground is good ground. Come on, I know, I know naturally, even as a farmer, you prepare your field by taking the stones out. And Garnet, when he was farming all those years, every year you would walk those fields and take those stones out. And I've gone out a few times to help them. It's not fun work, but it's necessary work. Because when you take the stones out that come to the surface, there's space for your harvest to grow. Come on. And so you may feel today like, oh, everything's good. And tomorrow the Holy Spirit will bring another stone and say, why don't you offer this one to me too? Let me heal that area of hurt. He wants to completely renovate your entire life. He wants no place for the enemy and his things to flourish in you. Amen. Hallelujah. And it says they have no root in themselves and they endure only for a time. Well, the writer of Hebrews says you have need of endurance so that after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Let's say it this way. You've sown the seed, expect the harvest, and stay firm, stay strong, believe. We said last week we keep focus, we tend our seed, and we believe for harvest. We keep focus. Okay? So that's seed, that's ground number one, and ground number two. Now here's ground number three. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful this type of soil speaks of a divided focus or a mixed seed it means we've been sowing too many things into the same ground we're sowing good things but we're also sowing bad things we come to church and we praise God on, t- on Sunday, but by Monday we're talking about everything else and sowing all those seeds and I'm never going to get anywhere. It's never going to get it. Oh, the world's gone to pot and there's nothing we can do about it. It just keeps getting darker and darker. But then on Sundays you're like, oh God, you're good. Let your kingdom come. come on. This is a mixed seed. And when things get mixed, nothing productive grows. You don't want thorns in your garden. What do you do with the thorns? You pull them out. 
the worst thing you can do is throw thorn seeds in. But we do that with our attentions and with our actions and with our words and with our expectation. We throw seeds that are not meant for our garden. And when they're in there with the other things, what happens? You choke the word and it doesn't produce. Why? Because God does not play second fiddle to anyone or anything. He is either the God of your life or he's not. And as soon as you put something on the same pedestal and in the same garden as him, he says, okay, if that's what you want, you can have it. He says, I want no other gods before you. And we, when we read that, we think, oh, we think of like, oh, Muhammad and Allah and, you know, all these other things. That's not what he's talking about. You can have gods in your life that demand your attention and you give, to, give it to them. If they get to dictate how you serve God, they're your God. So we toss them out. We bust down those idols because God won't give space. And any time you put something else there with God, he pulls back and says, okay, you can have that. When you're ready to serve me, ready to, for me to be involved, I'll be right here waiting for you. You know, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus said this after he was teaching uh, the, the crowd and the Pharisees were there. And uh, he, they said to him, the only reason you can cast out these demons is because you're working with them. And Jesus says back to them, knowing their thoughts, any kingdom that is divided against itself is being laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself will continue to stand. He said, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other. You either be loyal to one and you will despise the other. And you cannot serve God and mammon. That word for mammon there in the Greek means you can't serve riches and treasure. That's, but it's not the context that it's used in. It's meaning you can't serve all these other things that people put up on a pedestal and say, they're so great, they're my treasure. The Bible says where your treasure is, there is where your heart will be also. And so you can't serve God and anything else at the same time. And so when we talk about the thorny soil, it's because we sow a divided attention and mixed seed. God gets your first, everything else comes second. That doesn't mean there's not good things we can do in this life that, have, that aren't spiritual things. No, we're natural people. We live in this natural world. We have fun. We, we have families. We have work. We have all these things, but they do not get first place in our life. They do not get first choice about how we live and what we do. Everything goes God first. And when you put God first, it's amazing how he takes those other things and causes them to be more fruitful and productive in your life. So those were the three negative types of soil. And we're going to come back to number three in a second. But then, of course, we have the good ground. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word and accept it. That's how it is. I've sown. I'm expecting a harvest. God, I believe your word. I accept it as true. Those bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100. You don't have to worry about the size of the harvest. God knows how to take care of you. Your job is to sow when he tells you to sow what he tells you to sow and be expectant of the harvest and put in the sickle when it comes. Amen? 
This morning as we were preparing before service with the leaders, well, that was one of our confessions. We thank God we are good ground. And we thank God that the people of this church are good ground. They hear the word, they receive the word, and they produce. Amen? And you can either choose to agree with us or you can be like, no, no, that's okay. I'm going to be good ground. Amen? So those are the four types. And I want to focus today uh, in the time that we have left on number three which was the thorny ground, because he said there was three specific thorns that are mentioned here by Jesus. Three specific ones. And so if Jesus took the time to point them out, they're important to understand that they will have a negative effect on your life. So what are the three specific thorns that he pointed out? Well, the first one he said was the cares of this world. Now, when he says the cares of this world, he's not talking about, oh, having to go to work or having, needing food or anything. Like that. That's not what cares means. The word here, cares, has to do with worries and anxiety. It has to do with fretting. It has to do with chaos. That's what that word in the Greek is used for. The word cares, there are pressures that this world will try and put on you. And when you accept those, those negative pressures, those worries, those anxieties, they will choke the word. Why? Because you're believing that they have a greater power to sidetrack your life than God does to bless your life. Worry is worshipped turned in the wrong direction. You're saying, oh, I believe that this world is bad and that it's having a negative effect on me. No, I believe God is greater than all that. That greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. I don't believe something greater than God. I don't have to be worried. I have the God who holds all creation in his hand. He's my daddy God. He's the one who I look to in all things. He is my supply. He is my source. And he never lets up. He never gives up. He never fails. And so when we begin to worry, it means our focus has shifted and we've inflated something beyond its sta station. If I'm looking at it going, oh no, oh no, oh no, I'm not going, oh God, oh God, oh you're so good. Yes, God, I, I, I don't know how to even comprehend the boundaries of your massiveness. The, the endless bounds of your love, which I will never be able to discover because it's so great. You don't have love, you are love. You are a constant supply. You are an ever-present help in time of need. It means my focus has shifted and made something bigger than it actually is. And we begin to remember that, oh, I'm seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I've been seated at the right hand of the Father with Jesus, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. And rather than seeing something is so huge, you need to put it in its perspective. Where is it? He said you're seated far above. If you're far up, it can't be big because you are. And you look down and you're like, why would I be concerned about you? Amen? Peter said, casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Ooh, that's good. All of them. 
every single one for all time because he has a, does a better job of taking care of it than you ever will with all your concern and worry. The psalmist David in Psalm 55 wrote, cast your burden on the Lord, releasing the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be moved, made to slip, fall, or fail. Whoo, that's a promise to stand on. God, this can't move me because you said I can't be moved. You will sustain me. Come on, you think about that when people are concerned. What are we going to do? The economy looks so bad right now. He will sustain me. He will sustain me. He will sustain me. He will sustain me. Amen? So the first type thorn that Jesus pointed out was the cares or the worries and the anxieties of the world. They're the anxieties of the world. They're not the anxieties of God. Don't take them on. You're not meant to carry them. Let's jump to the third thorn first. And he said, the desires for other things. The desires for other things. Sometimes we have the best of intentions, like, oh, I want to do this and I want to focus on this. But then the desires for other things begin to creep up and they're like, oh, but I also want to do this. If you have two things to choose from and one of them is God, choose God. The desires for other things will choke the word. Does that make other things bad? No. It just means they're not as important as God thinks. God has no problem with you having a good job and a good house and a good car and all these other things, but when you begin to sacrifice your relationship with him for those things, that's when he has a problem. It says that the, the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. God has no problem with you having money. Most people who followed after God in the Bible ended up very blessed. They weren't worrying about what they were going to do next because God always supplied. But as soon as you put money and other things in that spot, God steps back again. It's like the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He says, I've done, I've kept all the laws, I've done good. And Jesus says, oh yeah, that's great. Give away all your money and then you'll be good. And he went, oh, and he walked away. Why? Because he cared about the money more than he cared about God. God has no problem with you having things. We're going to get into in the next, Pastor Wendy is going to be preaching next week, but then after that, we're going to look at how God has said you are blessed. Money does not have to be the Christian's concern. He is a constant supply. He is a good God. And if he's a good dad, just like Jesus said, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly father, who cares infinitely more for you. Come on. We're going to look at just how blessed you are. But it says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so he's saying, don't, don't love and lust after and long after those things. If you love God, you follow after God, it's just a byproduct. You get blessed. Don't believe me? Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? And what are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek or follow after or long for, he says, your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. 
Isn't that good that he's not ignorant of what you're going through? He knows what you need, when you need it. He knows exactly what station you're in. And it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. You just keep pursuing God, honoring God, giving him your focus, planting the seeds of his word in your life, and he knows how to take care of you in all of these things. We could spend a long time on Matthew chapter 6. But thorn number one was the cares of this world with worries and anxieties. Thorn number three was the desire for other things. Number two is where I want to focus on for the rest of today. We only got a few more minutes left. He said that the deceitfulness of riches would be a thorn in your life. How does money become deceitful? It makes people think they're more important than they are and more important than others. It makes people think that they're in a more sure position than they think they are because they look at what they got in the bank. You know, just think about just a natural historical context. I'm sure there was a lot of Germans at one point were like, oh, look at how much money I have. And then just a few months later, we're taking wheelbarrows full of it just to buy a loaf of bread. In this natural worldly economy, it can be worth something today and worth nothing tomorrow. And then what good is all your money? I like to look at the prophet where um, there was a famine in the land and there was, the economy was worthless. Nobody had food except for the king who had some stores. And God said, here, this is where I want you to go. Go sit by this river. There'll be water there for you. And I'm going to have the birds feed you. You know, I just like to picture that they were probably stealing that meat off the king's table. <laughs> and the king was not a friend of the prophet. <laughs> and if God knows how to take care of somebody in a natural situation like that, he knows how to take care of you too in your natural situation. Jesus, when he met a bunch of his disciples, they were fishermen. It was their business. And they'd fished all day and all night and caught nothing. And Jesus walked in and said, can I use your boat for a few minutes, guys? And they said, okay, and they kept mending their nets. He preached a message, and he said, hey, guys, push out a little bit, toss your nets in. And he began to sink their ships with so much fish. People who had been doing it for a lifetime as a business fished all day, all night, nothing. One moment with God filled their boats. So they called another boat, and that boat began to sink because of too much fish. They're out in the desert, and Jesus is preaching to them, and he says, oh, they're probably hungry, we've been out here a while, feed them. And the disciples go, how are we going to do that? You want us to go spend a year's worth of wages? He says, no, what do you have? Well, we got some loaves and fishes, bring them here. He blessed them, he broke them, and he fed them all. Guys, provision is not a problem for God. Don't make it a problem for you. He knows how to bless you in your job. He knows how to bless you beyond your job. Come on. Don't limit him by putting a box around where your provision comes from. Be a good employee. Be a good boss if you got a business. Believe the best. But don't limit God. Because he knows how to bless you who beyond your wildest dreams. 
And so let's end with this verse today. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul says to Timothy, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who gives richly all we need for our enjoyment. Can we read that last verse again? God, who richly gives us all things we need for our enjoyment. For our enjoyment. That, that should break a religious mindset if you've got one where, well, God will take care of you, but you know, you should just get used to just getting by. No, I don't serve a just get by God. I serve an abundant God. An all-sufficient God. The God of El Shaddai, which means more than enough. We've got to break those religious mindsets off. We need to shift our thinking away from a limited natural economy mindset. You are in this world, but you're not of this world. We live by the laws of the kingdom. Amen? Oh, we had so much more that I wanted to get to today, but we'll have to wait for another day. Oh, hallelujah. Why don't you stand up on your feet? I hope you are blessed this morning. Come on. Woo. God, you are so good. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for your word right now. And so we just thank you, Lord. We receive it with joy. We receive it with expectation. These little nuggets that we've taken out of your word today, we expect them to produce in our life. Because you said the sower sows the word and the word produces. Oh, Father, we go ahead and we call our hearts good ground. Go ahead and say that. I'm good ground. Father, I thank you that harvest produces in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Robin, bring us in for a landing. Yeah, glory. You may be seated. Well, hallelujah. So I've been trying to get to a patch of scriptures here, and Pastor Jordan's still sharing them anyway, but let's pull up Galatians chapter 6. And it says, do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to, the flesh, to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, and we're going to give you opportunity to give, let us do good, that is giving, to, to all, especially those who are the household of faith. But I want to roll back into um, verse 9 there, where it says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season, and I've shared this before, the due season is basically a kairos moment. And a kairos moment is translated this basically, basically this way, the appointed time in the purpose of God, a time when God acts. And so it was brought up this morning about, you know, uh, when um, the fishermen who were basically starving and their businesses were not going good, they meet Jesus, they have a Kairos moment, the boats are full. Amen. Amen. That's a time when God acted. Yeah. Amen. So in the, under the, the, the law of seed time and harvest, you sow, you reap. Amen. So let's read it this way. 
where you put in the Kairos moment in this uh, verse 9. It says, let us not grow weary while doing good, for in the appointed time, in the purpose of God, a time when God acts, we shall reap. <laughs> Isn't that cool? That's so cool. That is so cool. So it's because basically when you're sowing, you're getting God involved in, in what you're doing. Amen? No matter what you sow, you're doing God things. It's a God law. It's, a, it's a, the law of speed, seed, time, and harvest. Amen? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Amen? So again, two ways to give. You can give by going online or you can, there's a basket at the back and an envelope in the seat in front of you. Okay, Pastor Wendy and I are going to be up here um, right after this. And we're ready to minister to anybody. If you need prayer for anything, we would love to be able to pray with you, pray for you, minister to you, whatever is required. Amen? Amen. Amen. Be blessed.